Taylor, Sam the Throne, your weekly recap for HBO's Branch Davidian Barbecue, uh, a Game of Thrones. Ooh. Too soon? Went really dark on that one. <laughs> um, my name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. Brian, how you doing today? Good, good, good. doing good. little uh, thrown off because we had a guest cancel. Was already on the list of the worst guests ever. So this uh, little thrown off by that last minute cancellation. We're not used to being disappointed. Uh, we are used to being disappointed, but mainly from watching the show. Um, Very having true. a guest call out at the last minute is pretty uh, pretty disappointing. Um, yeah. This is Jermaine. There's no uh, doubt that we um, refer may have referred to him as the worst guest ever on the podcast. And I guess we felt bad and gave him another shot, and he is since concreted that uh, declaration of being the worst podcast guest ever by not showing up, but that's all right. Um, this was supposed to be his uh, his renaissance. Instead, he decided to go drink beer all day. Right. This is like, <laughs> you know, they let him out on furlough to see his wife, and he went out gambling and drinking and setting a couple you know couches on fire. This is his rumspringa. Rumspringa. Okay, well. Yeah, there we go. All right, things. well, let's get to the episode. Right, Screw Jermaine. Right. Screw Jermaine, every, everything, that, anything to do with Jermaine. And I don't ever want to use the word Jermaine uh, again in the podcast. All right. It, 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 it has since Bad, been, it's trigger warning. Yep. It's a trigger word now. All right. Uh, before we get into it, I just would like to let everybody know, including you, Brian, that I had my uh, wisdom teeth removed yesterday. You know? Ooh. Yeah. So uh, I'm on drugs and may be drinking um, against my better judgment. So um, if I'm belligerent or offensive uh, blame it on that so here we go uh what about all the prior episodes <laughs> uh, yeah, i'm sure I'm there's joking. an excuse for that but um so this one is season one episode eight the pointy end and if i just sum this up i'm gonna say that shit goes down um yes lots of movement lots of lots of i don't know a lot of not necessarily action but a lot of things are happening uh the pace of this episode was pretty breakneck, um, and I thought it was uh, an above-average episode. Um, you know, it wasn't great by any means, but I thought it was pretty decent. Your opinions? Agreed. There was kind of some silly stuff that we'll get into it as we go, but yeah, I think that this was a, a pretty enjoyable episode. Uh, it read this, for, this entire first season is just, it's all good, it seems like, for the most part. Right, and uh, I'll get into it, but uh, I think it's because they are just adapting a book at this point, like strictly, right. and it's the first time they haven't made minor changes that uh, had rippling effects later on. So, uh, so let's get into it. Um, I guess I'll start off. Um, so we start in King's Landing. Arya is practicing with Sirio, and the Lannister guards are busy uh, slaughtering Ned's men and his entire entourage. Um, Sirio's given Arya lessons about deception during fighting. And Marin Trant and a few Lannister guards bust in and try to uh, take Arya away. Sirio knows something's going down and blocks them from or stops them from taking Arya. Um, and they attack him. He beats them up, uh, except for Marin Trant. And then um, Arya runs away, leaving Sirio with half a sword um, to fight Marin Trant. It doesn't look good. Um,. I know we'll stop there because it continues, but uh, your thoughts about this scene? Do you think Sirio is alive, dead? I don't know. I mean, the fact that he's not dead tends to be, or not shown to be killed on screen, previously would typically indicate in this universe that they're still alive. 
Uh, I don't really know, and I don't think there's been anything to tell us either way. Um, uh, I'm operating under the assumption right now that he is dead. Yeah, uh, but it is curious that they didn't show it. But I don't know. My my, was, uh, hmm? my thing is, uh, even if he comes back at this point, I think it's too late for the show because what impact can he have in Arya's development? It seems like Arya's uh, not fully formed because she's still like a young girl, but she's already like an assassin with all the skills and back yeah. in Winterfell fucking people up. She doesn't seem like uh, she needs another instructor or further lessons, I guess. Yeah. So I fail mm-hmm. to see what point Syria would have coming back now, at least in the show. A fan service, I think, would be the only thing. Um, it, it raised a couple of questions to me, though, and I think I might have mentioned this before. Why does Dunce have a real sword nearby? You think as like the he, he should have an idea as to the political climate in this place. I don't know why he didn't have a an actual sword nearby or grab one of his uh, one of the Lannister guard swords. That I mean, would have been my my thing. Why didn't he grant? I I yeah. I think that you know the sword he fights with is one of those you know fencing swords, you know thin blades. But still, you'd think he'd be able to make do with one of these broadswords that these Lannister guards have dropped. Yeah. And then why is the first sword of Bravos in King's Landing? Do they ever explain that or is that explained in the books? Uh I don't think so. I think uh you know uh I think the it, it from what I uh, gather once again this is uh, uninformed perspective uh book reader uh stuff going on here but I think that he serves at the pleasure of the lord or whatever the the king of Bravos is whatever he's called. And when he leaves office or gets killed or whatever, uh, the guys are just dismissed, and the new guy that comes in brings in his own first sword. That's my impression of it. Um, but it is curious why he's in King's Landing. That's never really made abundantly clear. Um, yeah, just a, just more like conspiracy theory fodder uh, that this guy, the faceless men, were trying to get a hold of Arya uh, way back then. Even though this isn't a faceless man, supposedly. Um, right, but this is a guy from Bravos, is which is where she ends up with Jake and Hagar later in the show. So yeah, uh, before, and this oh, this sorry, scene this scene was also guilty of one thing that I that always bugs me, and I should probably let it go. But when there's a fight among a bunch of people, and then like half the guys are just like hit with a wood sword, they're on the ground like doing the worm, pretending to be hurt. Like nobody gets up and just or just swings a sword from the ground at him. Right. It always it always looks silly to me, but I mean I don't know what else you really do with it. You know what I mean? Uh, they do come at him all at once in the book. Like three dudes come at him, and he doesn't just like beat them up like uh, cartoon style, so they're floating on the floor. He he shoves his stick through one of their eyes. He Bless shatters one dude's kneecap, and he gets one of the other uh, swordsmen to kill uh, kill each other by running them through at the neck. So it's some pretty brutal stuff, and they kind of yeah. made it like, I don't know, a, a little bit more of like a Three Stooges routine in the show. Yeah. Yeah, it was cartoonish, and the, guy, again, the guy's just doing the worm on the ground. <laughs> Looks silly, but whatever. Yeah. Just nit, just nitpicking. So some yeah. of these things, yeah, just uh, it's one of those things that just took me out of it a little bit. But so uh, so continue on. All right. So meanwhile, Sansa's, uh, uh, you know, walking with her um, Septa, I guess, and um, Septa hears a whole bunch of noise and men killing each other, I guess, and she's, I guess, knows what that sounds like. So she sends Sansa back to her room, uh, and Sansa is intercepted by the Hound. Uh, meanwhile. Arya finds her way to the stables, reclaims Needle, 
everybody's in the stables dead except for this little fat stable boy and Arya stabs him with the pointy end of her sword, killing him. So this is Arya's first kill. Uh, but basically, you know, this is the fallout. Everybody's dying. They're basically committing genocide on Ned's whole house, which is a yeah, little aggressive, right? Yeah, it is. I, I, that struck me as well. I didn't know why they didn't just take people, uh, provide an opportunity to surrender or what right, the hell is going on here. Yeah, make them prisoners before so they could question them and then, like, execute yeah. them. It does seem very aggressive to just slaughter everybody, but, you know, that's yeah. the Lannisters. That's what they do. So, Did you notice when Arya stabbed the stable boy, did it look kind of oddly shot to you? It was almost yeah. like the free, freeze up on the frames. or I, It almost looked to me like they, uh, they, they ran out of time to edit the episode and said, fuck it. Like when you turn in an exam and there's two minutes left and you haven't finished the essay, but you're not going to be able to get the next part of the essay done. Right. That little chubby boy, you could already tell, was a terrible actor, even for a yeah. child actor. He was like standing very awkward and stiff and didn't seem to have any emotion in his voice. So I feel like the kids didn't pull it off. And it was one of those things where they just did a smash cut and a sword was sticking in his belly. Um, yeah. Really didn't pull it off. It was. It did take me out of it, so um, not very good. And this scene also, like, uh, this scene supported your theory of Arya as a psycho. Cause she, she just killed somebody and showed almost no remorse. Yeah. I mean, she didn't even look sad about it. She just had to get out of there. She stabbed the fat boy. I thought the same thing, but then uh, my excuse is that, you know, she's afraid um, for her father, people, mm -hmm. like... Uh, maybe she recognized, at least in the book, she recognized some of those dead people in the stables. Mm, okay. Part of his household. But in the show, it doesn't come out that way. In the show, you're right. It comes out like she's a fucking psychopath and doesn't give yeah. a shit that uh, she just killed somebody. Yeah, it, supported, it supports your theory. She's yep. a maniac. She's yeah. a fucking psycho. Yep. All right. And then we uh, later we go down into the dungeons and Vari's in disguise, I guess, quote unquote, meets with Ned and informs him of the situation. Uh, Sansa is safe, Arya is missing, his entire household is dead, uh, and Tyrion has escaped capture from his wife, uh, and now he's without a bargaining chip, <laughs> and basically says he's a dead man. Um, and Ned asks Varys, who does he serve? And Varys answers, the realm, which is dubious at best. Yeah, yeah. No one is uh altruistic in this in this world, for sure. No, and you know we talked last week, or it might have been the week before, about Varys. What the hell is he doing in terms of the Danny near poisoning? And a listener theory read on a competitor's podcast. Actually, I thought it had some good points um, that we should probably relate to our listeners, even though sure, drop it uh, off. We had we had nothing. <laughs> we did not come up with this at all. It was a fan theory on another podcast. But the theory was that you know um, that uh, Jorah. Is only there to watch Viserys. So once he that was done, Viserys is dead. He gets the pardon, and so Varys uh, also in that letter to him or the uh, the royal pardon uh, let him know what was going to happen as far as the poison wine, thus providing Jorah an opportunity to go and save her. And Jorah, he, Varys probably knew already through his little birds that Jorah was falling for her, or at least was uh, loyal to her. So this was a way for Varys to kind of push. Jorah towards helping Danny, but why did Jorah look conflicted? Because he definitely looked conflicted, and it looked like he wasn't going to step in for a little bit there. Well, well, that, that's the other thing. I mean, he might not have gone that way, but he did go that way. But it's not like she was drinking the wine herself there at the stand. I mean, there she could was have been about plenty of to. Like the guy was about to like offer. No, her. no, no. She, she, he, he gives her a cask to take with her. 
she was not going to try a sample. They didn't open it until Jorah showed up. So there would have been plenty of time for various little birds to intercept that cask of wine at a later date. Like the death wasn't imminent at that moment. It was coming, but it wasn't imminent at that moment. I guess if this theory so seems this theory listen, seems pretty flimsy already. I, but. I think it's the best explanation that we have so far. All right, whatever. I, I mean, it's frustrating that not, nothing's obvious or over even intimated as far as how this worked. But yeah. that at least would that at least would explain to some extent what was going on here. Sure. So, th- thought I thought I'd bring it up to our, yeah. our loyal listeners. So it sounds good. I appreciate that. All right, where do we go sure. next, Brian? So next we go to the wall, and uh, the dead people that they found after the swearing-in ceremony are, uh, are have been brought into Castle Black. Um, Sam realizes that there's no rotten smell, uh, so they decide to burn the uh, bodies after. After I figured, I think it was Eamon had an opportunity to examine them. Uh, at the same time, a raven comes in for Winterfell, and it's bad news. The king is dead. Um, the Lord Commander tells Jon Snow about it and uh, how Eddard Stark has been charged with treason due to trying to deny Joffrey the throne. Yep. I don't know if there's much to say about this scene besides, uh, you know, we know that they're whites uh, just waiting to get reanimated, but... Um, these are almost like time bombs, I guess. Like, um, you know, if there is somebody in charge of these zombies, which I call them zombies and you disagree with it, but basically they're reanimated corpses, but they don't seem to have any kind of willpower. So these guys were kind of like dormant on purpose until they got south of the wall into the into the Lord Commander's uh, presence to be activated. And only one of them gets activated, which is weird. Um, there's a there's a lot of problems with this. How how did they get through the magic of the wall? First off, in the first place, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, why I don't think we've ever seen like a a white prior to this that has had like a like an alarm clock or anything. Um, you know the the other ones that we've seen uh, at Hard Home. You know the guy does the arm race thing, the come at me, bro, and they all arise. I, there's been no. I mean, it, 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 I. I I guess they had to do this for the story, and I think I think this is relatively uh, true to the book. It is. But it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, there's a lot of holes with this. I agree, and some people have thought, well, you know, they're magical creatures. You know, the White Walkers can't cross the wall, but their drones can, uh, which doesn't make much sense to me. Even if the drones can cross the wall, I don't see how they can be controlled because it seems like they're definitely controlled because they were. It was like a delay activation. They they weren't animated yeah. right away. So and I think you, that was the uh, the inverse was true of where the children of the forest were hiding, where couldn't the uh, the White Walkers walk into there, but the Whites couldn't get in there. Uh, I don't know. I, I think uh, it I might be like misremembering. Children, yeah, it seems like uh, neither of them could get in until yeah. um, until he did the ground pound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Bran was marked. Whatever the still whatever the fuck that means still bothers he did the me. The Yep. All right, so we go back down to King's Landing and the small council meets uh, in order just to intimidate Sansa into manipulating her to being a Lannister stool stooge. It's fucked up. Yeah, I mean, it is fucked up. These grown men, women, uh, just threatening her and saying, you know, it's all her fault. She is, you know, her dad's a traitor and she's got to turn against her him if she wants to marry Joffrey. It is pretty fucked up. Um but they, especially Picel, that piece of garbage. I hate Picel. 
He's, he's, he's really a particular. He kept saying she's got traitor's blood, like it's some kind of recessive gene or something. You know, like, it's, yeah. it's like it's sickle his, cell or something. Yeah, he says the that tra- uh, the seed of the traitor, uh, whatever, is no fit host yeah. for the royal blood or whatever. I don't know, but yeah, just some dumb shit. Um, but yeah, he's a total Lannister uh, toady, which we'll learn later on in I think next season. Um, but uh, yeah, he is despicable. But so is you know Varys. Um, yeah, at least you know he's playing a role, but it's still despicable. Mm-hmm. But there's not much to say about this scene. Well, of course, Littlefinger defends her because we know that he wants to hit it later. So he's he's uh, I think what do they call that? A uh, uh, grooming? Hit it and quit it? What? No, no grooming where a child molester tries to set up or something with a kid. Grooming? I, I, I guess you've studied it more than I have. I I don't know, but uh, maybe priming. In the pick no, I think game? it's grooming. I think the pickup artist game, I think it's Not called peacocking. Oh, well, he should peacock. Should yes, something he, that absolutely. Maybe paint his nails. All right. So, uh, unless there's anything else to say about this scene, we'll move on. No, no, there's not. Okay, so we go back to Winterfell. Um, it's just breakneck, but it, it's okay because I think yeah. pe- things are happening. So there have been yeah. We discussed earlier episodes in the season where the, it was too breakneck, but. I think the the whip around was between like a lot of it was in the same like area geographical area. Mm-hmm. So I think that that um, makes the whipping around between different characters a little bit better. Like in the beginning, the the switching between Sansa and Arya, um, you know, it was back and forth. But I thought it was still good. At least but, in King's Landing, you're absolutely right. Yeah, but we go to Winterfell, and it seems like you know, obviously, we don't we we stop paying attention to time uh, in the show, but. Rob receives this letter from Sansa, so we assume it's what, a couple weeks later or a week later. I don't know. Um, but he obviously sees it for what it is. Uh, Sansa writing uh, Cersei's words and just signing her own name. Um, and he just decides to assemble his army, uh, call the banners. And Theon gets a hard on visibly uh, at the <laughs> thought of going to war. Uh, so I enjoyed that. Um Basically, that's it. A hundred or so ravens fly from Winterfell, uh, calling all the vassal houses to Winterfell for war. It's on. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, w- I wondered, uh, watching the scene, I wonder what would happen if Rob did go down to uh, King's Landing and bend the knee. Like, if there actually could have been peace between the Lannisters and the Starks, whether they would have just killed him when he showed up there. Uh, it depends, because I think if the Lannisters were in charge and not Joffrey... Um, that yeah. might've happened, but Joffrey's the reason why Ned Stark is dead. I truly believe in the way it's set up is that Cersei was okay with him taking the black as long as he admitted that he's a traitor because yeah. he basically renounces his claims to Winterfell and all that shit. Um, so I think if the Lannisters truly were in charge, they would have probably held him as a captive and replaced the house. It would have kind of been what happened with, um, uh, the Riverlands. Uh, yeah. What happened with Tully? Remember? Mm-hmm. So basically, they let uh, Ed Edmir Mir Edmir Edmir Tully uh, survive, but they took his house, and he's no longer you know Lord of the Riverlands. I think that's what best case scenario for Rob. Yeah. So uh, next we go to the- for that shit. So they're gonna throw down. You Probably. knew they were gonna do that. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I think it ends in bloodshed either way. Um, so next we go to the Vale, and uh, apparently, Lady, uh, was it? What's her name again? Lysa. Lysa. 
Yeah, I received news in the morning that uh, from Rob about the war. She did share with Catelyn immediately because she's a real fucking bitch. Yeah, that's what uh, I wrote. A B yeah. word. Yeah, uh, Sweet Robin, of course, wants a taste. Um, <laughs> <laughs> those two, sometimes it's just too much. Sometimes yeah, it's a little it's, too overboard. It's it is cool. a little much. Yeah, he's he's not a very good actor. And she, I, I, I think she's doing what they want. The, uh, the Lady Lysa, I think she's doing what the... Show writers want her to do, but I it's it it's just uh it's off putting. Yeah, she's it's a off-putting. good actor. I've seen her in other things, but uh you're right, it's just yeah a little over the top. Yeah. So Kat wants uh the Knights of the Vale to join in the fight, and of course uh Lys is too concerned about Sweet Robin and his future, so she declines to participate. Yeah, but she's just a, a complete asshole the entire time. Yeah. Uh and we know this, you know, looking back in hindsight. That she's conflicted about this whole thing because she's saying, "Oh, they killed my husband. They killed my husband." But she killed her husband. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's fucked up. It really is. So she, it, it's basically when you hear about these things where uh, a woman falls in love with a dude and then like fucks over her own family, and you're just like, "What the like, what what the fuck is up with you? Like, are you that? I don't know." She should be like in a Law and Order episode. In what? <laughs> what do you because mean? I don't watch Law. Because she, oh, she killed her husband. You know, like they, right? They, yeah, you know. They should um, be on Maury Povich. Yeah, that's true. Around. Yeah, it, with the uh, episode, my eight-year-old son still sucks my titty. <laughs> I'd watch that shit. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, she's just an overall, wait for the like, TV version comes out. She's just an awful person. Like she's, yeah, she's lying. She's. She sees what's happening to her sister, and she doesn't care because she's hoping to get that sweet little finger doodad in her hoo-ha, I guess. Yeah. So she's just an awful human being. But um, then we transition to, you know, the road out of the Vale, where we have Bronn and Tyrion making their way back um, to civilization, I guess. And while they're sleeping, they get surrounded by, you know, one of these hill tribes, you know, in particular the Stone Crows. Um, and then we meet Shaga, son of Galt or Galt. I don't know. Uh, anyway, Tyrion, uh, talks him out of killing him by promising gold weapons and ultimately the veil itself. And these guys all look like the cover of, uh, Skyrim, uh, that Viking guy. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't seem like it was, you know, we nailed it. I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think we have to make a logic leap here, uh, to know where they get the design for the costume. But, you know, it's just showing Tyrion's uh, resourcefulness and how he can manipulate people and use his uh, mind and his tongue to, you know, get what he wants. Yeah, it's a good scene. Set up the relationship a little bit more between Bran and Tyrion, uh, where it's interesting seeing the transition from Bran is simply there for the goal to, I think there is some level of friendship later on in the the series. Yeah, yes, yes. There's some degree of relationship between that or friendship as the series goes on. So it was it was interesting seeing Bronn talking to Tyrion. Yeah, it's like, you know, when we have these couples and they're just, you know, they're just F buddies and, you know, they're like, I'm only in it for the sex. But then, you know, no big deal. I don't want any kind of relationship. But then you can see the relationship forming. Um, so, so yeah, they are uh, becoming friends despite them, besides the situation, I guess, despite themselves. Flawless uh, analogy. It is flawless. Don't tell me... <laughs> Basically, Bronn's going to catch feelings. That's sure. 
Sure. So All then right. we go to uh, back to Kings or to uh, the Wall, and uh, Thorne is taunting uh, is taunting Jon Snow. You're not only a traitor, you're a traitor's bastard. You're not only a bastard, you're a traitor's bastard. It's a pretty fucked John- up thing to say to somebody. Thorne is a real fuck boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So John tries to pull a shank on him. Uh, Lord uh, Commander sees it and puts John on house arrest. Um, I don't blame him, but what the what the fuck is Thorne's problem? I, I mean, agree. I, it's it's just beyond. Like somebody should have spoke to Lord Commander and said, "Listen, did you hear what the fuck he said to him?" Some pretty fucked I mean, up I, shit. I think this is part of the whole Thorne is trying to um, to like push people's limits to see who actually make it out in the out in the uh, north of the wall. But it seems too far beyond what needs to be. And a lot of these guys, you know, they're not actually like taking the best of the best. They're actually taking the worst of the worst. So, I mean, we, we've harped on how bad his leadership is, but this is a particularly egregious example of how he should be stripped of any any uh, degree of, of leadership over anyone. Yeah, and in the books it's made more clear that Alistair Thorne is there primarily because he backed the Targaryens in Robert's Rebellion. And right. Jon Snow is Ned Stark, you know, the number two guy in that rebellion. You know, he's Robert's right-hand man, so... He can't stomach, you know, this this guy that's you know two degrees from the um, uh, the usurper, as right. the Targaryens call him, because he's a Targaryen loyalist. So that's made a little bit more clear. Um, but still, it's still just fucked up to say to a human being. Um, John should have got it. Should have shanked him. I don't know. Nobody should yeah. have held him back. Some I'm on board with it. Yeah, they should yeah. have just they should have held him down and then covered it up yeah. afterwards. Yep. So then we go to John is in his quarters on uh, house arrest. Ghost is upset. Um, so they, they, they John does the stupid thing that t- people do only doing TV shows where the dog's upset. So he talks to the dog like it's Lassie. Yeah. What's wrong, girl? What's what wrong? Is it? Yeah. So if, I don't think I've ever done that. If my dogs are that upset, I'll get a golf club and you'll be ready to scrap. scrap or, uh, but anyways, um, John, you don't ask your dogs for advice or like, should I get the golf club? Yeah. Or should I what, call? Sh- what should I do? <laughs> Yeah, uh, should I call nine one one or just see see it out first before I do that? Um, so then John follows uh, Ghost and they find the white one of the gentlemen has uh, that they found beyond the walls reanimated, and um, and they eventually John kills him through fire, which uh, he this the appearance of this guy maybe because it's because he was a freshly revived white. But he looks so much different than every other white that we've seen yeah. in other episodes because he looks like a normal dude who's just pale. Yeah, and you couldn't – they didn't um, – I don't know if they didn't have the budget to make his eyes glow. Um, I think – is that something that I think only the White Walkers do? I don't know. But I think in the books, the um, I think the animated corpses have this weird, mysterious glow in their eyes. Uh, hmm. Just something to make him see more otherworldly. Yeah, because he didn't – he just looked like a dude. Um, yeah, just like that pale dude who couldn't be, who wasn't taken down by by shanks and swords. Maybe they, if they gave him like a huge, horrible, like mortal facial wound or something, or like an yeah. axe wound in the back of his head to just make it seem like, oh wait, this is just to remind you, oh, this is a dead guy come back to life. But it just seemed like a do- a guy fighting him. Um, but one thing I did want to uh, point out is that you know the Lord Commander comes in, all like, what's going on, and holding a lantern, and. John grabs it barehanded and throws it at the zombie, setting him on fire. And he says, "Ouch!" Um, burning himself. So it is conclusive that John is a Targaryen at the end of season six, 
and so is Danny, and yet Danny is fireproof and can touch really hot eggs and get into scalding water, all that shit. But I guess John isn't, so where's the logic there? I don't know. I don't know. I'm guessing it might be a thing where there it, there is a logic disconnect, but you can't when they're planning this. They don't have that much foresight, is what I would guess. But I don't know that that's the case. Um, well, I don't in know. the books too. Uh, well, I don't know. In the books, is not expressly made that Danny's fireproof, but he does burn himself, and he has to wear like a glove, like Luke Skywalker, uh, going forward. And he only oh, wears yeah. like one yeah. glove going forward because he burns his hand pretty bad. Yeah, and well, we know in the books too that uh, Danny is not fireproof. There's just been a couple situations where she's been able to live through fire. For instance, the birth of her dragons. So that this would fit more within that logic where Targaryens are not fireproof, but the show decided to go off the reservation a little and make Danny completely fireproof. Fireproof in all contexts, but uh, yeah. Other than that, I mean, uh, I guess once again, it's just weird. Um, the corpse comes back to life, and some people think that it was sent. If this guy is sent and controlled by the White Walkers, it, it was his mission to kill the Lord Commander because that's whose quarters he was in. Yeah, but do we have any idea that that is even possible? I mean, has anything else that we've seen with, related to the White Walkers provide we don't, any we don't know any, anything about that that's the thing is intentionally yeah. we know so little about the white walkers that they're basically capable of anything i guess yeah i just i don't think it fits within the i mean they needed they kind of needed to do it i guess to get john out of house arrest and also to impress on people what uh, the night's watch what was going on here or what what's what the uh, you know the portends what's going to happen or what's coming but um it just i don't know that it makes sense within the logic that we know, or well, probably at least not, I think that we know. Probably not know. in the show, at the very least. Yeah. So we'll leave it yeah. as that. Um, all right. So then we go to the Dothraki Sea, and the Dothraki are basically doing their best ISIS impression, uh, burning yeah. villages, raping people, slaughtering them, and destroying Danny, them. Danny's not impressed with the horsey economy. I, this is how things work. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just like, she's just a naive girl, and like, she is the queen of these awful fucking people. Like, the Dothraki are uh, inexcusably awful. They're like the Ironborn. They don't have a, like a, a means of keeping themselves uh, stable or feeding themselves. Their whole economy is based on theft and uh, right. butchery and robbery. So that's some pretty fucked up shit. And Danny's the queen of these people. Let's just stop there and just think about that. Um you know, and there's this weird rape culture where uh, the guy even says, oh, those women over there, they're being honored by having our Dothraki Mountain. Um, so it's just really disgusting. And just like a true um, privileged, naive woman, she saves a handful of the women from being sex slaves and thinks, you know, she's done some good here. Um, otherwise, she's cool yeah, with the genocidal fucking murder <laughs> of this entire village. She's like, oh, those little kids? Yeah, burn them. That's fine. Uh, but these women, you cannot rape them. They are now mine. Um, the women that were in the pen? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that looked hilarious. That guy just kept struggling to close the gate on the pen full of women, and he never got it closed. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty uh, it was ridiculous. Comical. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, yeah, these people are just despicable. It just uh, I guess this is the first time we've seen a Dothraki being Dothraki. The entire time, we just thought they were cool like a horsey club, you know, like a motorcycle gang. 
uh, but not sure. like a real motorcycle gang, like kind of like the one that you know, you know your your dad and his uncle, like you know they're in their fifties and they just go out on the weekends <laughs> and, and drink beer uh, and get away from their Yours, wives. You, you, this is a spot on description of my father in law. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. So am I? You're not being sarcastic at all. You just like no, no. You ride the motorcycles, warrior. Uh, I mean, he's more serious about it than that, but I mean, he hangs out with nice guys that all just like motorcycles and they go camping in motorcycles. Yeah. That's what we thought the Dothraki were. They were just like guys that like to hang out in this normal dudes, but no, they're, they're a real gang and they're they're worst version of a Mongol horde. Right. They are awful. Um, but anyway, um, uh, she goes before Drogo and Drogo's sitting next to a pile of heads. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember seeing that the first time. I, I don't think it. I saw it either. Yeah, but um, she questions uh, or D- Drogo questions Danny's actions by uh, taking all these women's and and robbing the the pleasure uh, from his uh, his soldiers, and she uh, says it pleases her to keep the women safe, and that she claims them and's like basically go fuck yourself. I can do what I want. Basically, gets real sassy, um, and Drogo, uh, you know is charmed by this and claims it's his son giving her all this sass, <laughs> making her fiery. Yeah. Of course, once again, it's just, she has no real agency. It's all, uh, the male child inside her that's making her, um, all mouthy. But anyway, the underling doesn't like this decision and spits on Drogo and calls Danny a whore. Bad move. Uh, Drogo makes quite a show of killing this dude, um, and rips out his tongue with his bare hands and through his throat. um, but also, he suffers a cut on his titty, and one of the slave women uh, that Danny claimed is a healer and offers to help. So many questions about that. I, do the Dothraki not have any healers amongst themselves? I, I don't. They do. It doesn't. Yeah. Why? They so why do they let this witch do it? Somewhere else. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's stupid. And you know, this like I, I, you can look at the scene and say Danny caused Drogo's death. In two different ways here. She both caused him to fight this guy by preventing, making him change the entire culture on a dime, seemingly. And then also got the witch to treat him, which we know eventually he dies because of the witch's treatment, more or less. It's very similar to Sansa, how Sansa basically killed her own father. One by um, uh, telling Cersei that, um, uh, at least in the books, like, Ned Ned meets with uh, Cersei in the show, and I think he does in the books. But uh, uh, in the books, for certain, Sansa tips off Cersei that her, her dad's leaving or thinking about uh, making a move, and that's how uh, Ned gets captured and all that shit goes down. And then you know later, by begging for his life, um, she gets him killed again. So right, I guess there's mm-hmm. some parallel. It's not you know 100, percent but uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. It's you know, and you can't blame Danny's heart in this situation, but this is a little bit of naivety, uh, fucking shit up. Yeah, it wasn't one funny. The guy who was angry that he couldn't do any raping, he he said the phrase or the question, the rhetorical question of "Does the horse breed with the lamb?" And I, I thought to myself, well, apparently, because that's what you're so pissed about, is you can't right. breed with the lambs. Yeah, but it's also odd that these um, – that – I mean, I guess there's a real there's real-world analogs to this, but it just seems like if this is how the Dothraki live. Like, how are these people that they're – the lambs not protecting themselves or 
seeking seeking out refuge or how they still exist even i, I thought know? the same thing uh the the book makes it seem like there's a bunch of these little villages and little cultures that live throughout this massive continent like mm-hmm. it's that's the dothraki sea and the the dothraki hordes and this is just one of them supposedly there's a couple Kalazars or whatever uh that's, right you know that's when she unites them in season six um, so he has 40,000 people or so, but there's other hordes just roaming around the, the land. You would think they would just make like a clockwise or counterclockwise circle around the fucking land. Yeah, just but hit humans up one. don't, you would think that they would hunt them to extinction fairly quickly. You would think, but I don't know. It's, it's not, I guess it's not that important for the, the show, but no, but um, it, I thought the same thing when I was even reading the books, yeah. like the, the villages either give them money to not kill them. Or the Dothraki kill them and take their shit uh, just on a whim. Uh, huh. Especially the bigger cities give them money uh, all the time. They just come and say, well, we're going to besiege you or you give us money. And they give them money and they go away. But huh. I guess when, when people refuse to give them coin, they slaughter them all. All right. So anything else to say about that scene? Absolutely not. Okay, good. So we uh, move on to uh, Winterfell. And the lords, or particularly uh, Big John, is arguing over who will be the vanguard. Um, I, I, this scene, I kept going back and forth on whether I liked Big John or not. What, what did you think about him? I, I, I liked him at first, and I definitely liked him in the book because he's more cantankerous. He's just like this. But in this, it, it almost, given what we know about the small John's actions in season well, six. Well, that's the issue, yeah. Right. It almost seems like when he gets his hands bitten off, like Rob says... Well, we haven't got to it yet, but uh, yeah. So, so he's t- he's testing, and uh, Rob is going to have somebody else uh, lead the vanguard. Which I guess the vanguard are are they the first? Yeah, they're the first army. first to go, last to know. They're like the Marines. They yeah. go. They they're the first group of people that heads into battle. It's a position of honor, but also a very dangerous position. Yeah. So Big John threatens to take the Umber household. Rob says that he will brand him as a traitor. Uh, Big John pulls a knife. And uh, uh, Rob's dog, I forget what his, his wolf's name is. Greywind runs in, bites off his hand. Kind of oddly shot again. Uh, and kind of an odd scene in general. But uh, Greywind runs in, bites off two of uh, Big John's fingers. He thinks it's hilarious. Um, and Rob defuses the situation by saying, he must have been helping me cut my tough meat because there are multiple issues here with him ostensibly pulling a knife on Rob. Um, you know, not only the guest rights, but also, you know, he's, he's a bannerman to the house. Oh, I didn't even think about guest right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of layers there or at least two layers. I don't know if that's a lot, but, um, uh, the big John kind of turns it around and says, just laughs it off and, uh, kind of agrees. And this is one of the several times in this episode where big John kind of tests Rob. And, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, you would think that he would, that this guy, big John would understand, that he's beholden to the Starks, but I, I don't know. He's kind of a kind of testy for a bannerman. Uh, yeah, I agree. And uh, there's that one moment where he gets his fingers bitten off, and Rob proposes the or suggests that he had just pulled out his knife to cut his meat. Yeah, and you could tell, and it, it's very clear that he's looking around the room, assessing his situation before he answers. That means it was a calculated answer, which means he's not just a you know cantankerous drunken. Um, guy he's he's somewhat thinks about what he's doing um so 
he comes off as more rebellious and probably just as dangerous as the Boltons. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know what this all means or if it even matters, but, uh, yeah, definitely. Well, weren't they in the first in the books? Weren't the umpers like the most, one of the most loyal houses? They were, but there was, there was definitely a splinter group. So there's a lot of umbers. There's like, uh, big John umber or great John umber, the small John, which is who we meet later. Um, there's crow's food umber, a guy who, I don't know, either passed out, got so drunk he passed out or was in a battle and got his eye eaten by a raven. Um, and then there's Horsbane Umber, a guy who um, slept with a prostitute who stole his money and ended up killing the prostitute, who turned out to be a dude. Uh, but there's all sorts of... What the fuck? <laughs> there's Lady Umber. There's all sorts of Umbers, so they're very big in the uh, books. But yes, predominantly the majority of the Umbers are loyal to the Starks, uh, savagely loyal to the Starks. But there is yeah. one one character, and I don't know if that's a small John, but that's who they chose in the show to be the the splinter group well we're not going to talk about that little jerk yeah um so anyways uh moving on uh, after that scene uh we have a scene where rob is saying goodbye to bran uh leaves bran in charge uh rickon comes in he's sad and he knows uh that they're not returning uh rickon actually is probably the most uh, prescient of all of the starks because he knows the shit's gonna turn out really bad for them yep you know it's some dumb kid um so not much not much to that scene no, it's just like you're going to be the man of the castle now, and then yeah. we have Bran step up immediately. And like they could have given it some breath, but like he is acting like the man of the castle, reassuring his little brother. You know, instead of being scared, you know, like he was when Rob was reassuring him, he's now reassuring Rickon. So yeah, uh, it's just a little bit too forced or too immediate uh, for my liking. But whatever. Um, but then after this, Bran is playing praying in the Godswood at the Weirwood tree mm-hmm. when professor McGonagall strolls up and this, this, this is all, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but this is all fucked up. What's this? He's like the in charge of Winterfell and he's sitting in there by himself. And then this prisoner who tried to kill him earlier, or at least tried to kidnap him earlier, just strolls in. What the hell, what's his security doing around there? Makes yeah, no sense she's just at all. a woman. No big deal. I, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I don't know. It it seems a little crazy. Uh, and he was yeah. in there with Hodor, who Hodor was swimming, and we we get to see him in a second. But uh, oh, yeah. you know, uh, oh yeah. So <laughs> uh, uh, Peeves or whatever her name is is talking about um, the old gods and how they're real and how they whisper because the gods send the wind and all that shit. Um, and she does refer to herself as a slave. She's like even slaves have God. So that was a cool call back to our uh, podcast last week. We brought that up. How what's the definition of a slave? Um, you know, it's slavery is the outlawed in, uh, Westeros, but you know, what the hell is Asha? She's a prisoner, but you know, uh, if there's no like end date to the sentence, it's just slavery. Um, she, she's on a, a, uh, she's on like a chain gang. Yeah. She's a prisoner, but she's, she's forced doing forced labor. Forced labor. And so. still, yeah, like I said, no, uh, you know, date on her whatever, um, parole hearing or anything like that. She's just, like, yeah. Uh, indefinitely a prisoner, which to me sounds like slavery, but moving on. Um, <laughs> she tells uh, Bran that Rob is marching in the wrong direction, that the real threat is from the north, and um, we get Hodor, who runs in and hangs Sirius Dong. Um, that's a that's a major dong. <laughs> but other than that, not much is going on in this scene, except for, you know, this is playing the seed that Bra- Bran is connecting with the werewolves, which 
ultimately he'll be a part of as the three-eyed raven yeah plus the whole it's setting up the whole osha hodor like that that relationship going forward because i don't know that was ever uh, where osha decided to become a stark loyalist i don't know that that transition that happens later ever made a ton of sense to me but i guess there's some connection here and it, the one thing about the scene is her messy hair yeah, it's just too. distracted the living shit out of me. I kept going, why it's get out of your face? It's fucking greasy, and it's it's just all over the place. And she's, like, overly creepy, and, like, you know, she does this thing with her head where she tilts her neck ever so slightly, like, uh, you know, that dog that looks into the, whatever, the, the record player. Yeah, the Victor, what is it? Victrola? Yeah. She does yeah. that thing where she, like, tilts her head like she's an animal. She's just overplaying it. I thought she didn't do a good job. She's not a great actress, but you know, once again, she's from the Harry Potter movie. So, it's also funny, like uh, the Hodor runs in there and he's got this huge wang, and so like if you go, well, no, they showed dicks in the show in addition to boobies. It's funny that they have this guy who uh, otherwise, I mean, I think is uh, completely unattractive. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not into dudes, so I don't know, but I don't think a woman uh-huh. would look at a guy and say, oh, he's hot. So it's like if they put they put like the greatest set of boobs on like just a hideous woman, it would be the analog. But they don't do that. They just have perfect women. I agree, and yeah, you're right. Women. When when female nudity is on the screen, it's you know, in rare, besides rare occasions, they're yeah, sexy well, and they're things. Yeah, <laughs> one once, we all know what I'm referring to. Yes, but uh, you're right. When they show a dude's dick on screen, it's normally like to make fun of it, like the the guy with his warty dick. Um, or the guy that's pissing, like it's comedic or it's, uh, you know, goofy or it's, it's not in the same context that we get women, uh, female nudity. All right. So then we're back at the wall and the Knights, uh, the men of the Night's Watch are finally getting around to burning the corpses. Um, and Sam starts dropping all sorts of knowledge about a book he read about the White Walkers. Um, and we get another reference that they sleep for a long time and they're being woken up. This was mentioned by um, somebody, I can't remember what it was, the last episode or an episode back about how they're asleep. Once again, the reason why I'm pointing this out is because we know very, very, very little about the White Walkers. And anytime we get one of these little knowledge bombs, uh, we should pay attention to it because this is like the only information we get. Well, it's also, the I'm sure there's a certain degree of uh, unreliable narrator because I don't even know if that term is correct here. No, that, you're un- unreliable narration or whatever, because like a lot of this stuff's old as shit. Yeah, and then who whoever wrote this before? It's not like they doesn't seem like they they have the scientific method here, or right. doing peer controlled longitudinal studies or anything. It's just some dummy wrote this stuff down yeah, in a like, book a long time ago. There's seven types of biles. There's yellow bile yeah. and green bile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's so all bullshit. We do know. I mean, this scene does at least set up that Sam has value in that he knows things that nobody else does and uh, compiling that with the earlier uh, yeah, why is this corpse stink? Yeah, yeah, Sam showing his real worth by being um somebody who can fucking read. Um, yeah. Huge step one. Huge advantage here at the Night's Watch. Yeah. So then we uh we go to uh Cat arriving at Rob's camp. Um this uh, the we tr- I try not to get into the the time of all this stuff, but the time the timing of all this stuff seems weird. But yeah. anyways, uh, she goes to his tent. He's discussing battle, the battles with everyone. It seems like there's already shit going down, even though uh, or actual battles between the Lannisters and the Starks, even though we don't really 
know too well, much at least about. The Lannisters are attacking the Riverlands. I think that's yeah. What we got. Which I guess Gregor was already doing that. Gregor Clegane had previously been attacking. Right, but now it's um, joined by it's, at least yeah. Jamie or Tyr- or Tywin or whoever. Yeah. So uh, she wants to talk to Rob alone. Cat talks to Rob alone. It's some sappy bullshit. Um, I, I didn't write down too much about it. Yeah, there's not uh, much to say. No, they kind of discuss the importance of the events and that Robbie either needs to win or or everyone in the historical lineage is probably going to die. Right. Um, so that's about it to that scene. Not much to it. Yeah, not much to it. She evokes what the Lannisters did to uh, Rhaegar's children, um, you know, and that keeps coming up uh, throughout the series. Um, that when they sacked King's Landing, the Lannisters and Gregor Clegane and uh, some other guy, I can't remember his name, uh, were directly responsible with, for killing the um, entire royal family pretty brutally uh, yeah. when they took King's Landing. So Lannisters have a well-deserved, awful repu- reputation. So so basically, Kat's saying there's no peace that can be brokered. It's The only way they're going to win is by defeating the armies in battle, which she's probably right. I mean... It's fucked up that it came to this, and the Starks and Lannisters were manipulated into coming to this conflict. Um, but now they're in it. I don't. I don't know if they have any real alternatives. No, I, at this point, certainly not. Yeah. So not, I think I said it was past the point of no return when uh, Ned branded Gregor Clegane and uh, a traitor to the realm and ordered. Tywin to come to King's Landing to bend his knee and answer for his crimes. Um, I think at that point, you know, that was the point of no return. The think, die was cast. Yeah. yeah, I think before then they could have made peace and the Lannisters could have, you know, Starks, they're not going to be buddy-buddy, but they could at least have stopped this conflict from happening at that point. I, yeah, I think the Tywin in particular could have appreciated the necessity of at least a... a uh, uh, not necessarily peace with the Starks, but at least uh, they it is in their best interest to not be at war with each other. Absolutely. For the most part. So, so then we go to Tyrion and the uh, the Hill tribes are arriving at the Lannister camp. And Shaga, of course, reiterates that his he enjoys feeding dicks to goats, yep, which I think good. in the book uh, that comes up significantly more. A lot, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty funny in the book that it kept coming up, but they only – uh, so far, I think this is this this might be the first reference to it. Um, I think so, but yeah, Tyrion already sounds like he's bored with it. Uh, yeah, alluding to that, alluding to at least the audience that Shag has made this these threats before. Which that's actually a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good uh, Easter egg for book readers that they know that this has been settled. So Tywin almost seems disappointed that Tyrion is not dead when he uh, arrives. Um, I don't know if that's. Or, uh, Tywin's typical demeanor. Yeah. Right? We know it's typical demeanor, but uh, not exactly celebrating. Uh, Ty- Tyrion introduces all the hillbillies that he's brought with him. The one that really stuck out in particular was uh, Chella. <laughs> yeah, this lovely maid here is Chella yeah. of the burned, of the whatever, black ears. Yeah, whatever. yeah. So then Jamie's been doing well. Apparently, he's won a few battles uh, as Tywin relates to Tyrion. Uh, and he has Tyrion River up- on Under Siege. Which yeah. Is important. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which is uh, ties into later episodes. Yeah. Um, so Tyrion kind of gets this info dump of what's been going on. Uh, the Lannisters apparently think that it will be a rout, and uh, there's they brought the Tywin's brought news that the wolf has crossed into the neck, and apparently that excites uh, Tywin. I think he thinks he's going to be able to crush 
the Stark army at that point. Absolutely. And, yeah. And, so, and that ties in a little bit later when, when Rob starts winning these battles and you really think that he might be able to pull this thing out, which I know as when I first watched the show without have been, being a book reader at that time, I really just kind of assumed that this thing, that eventually the the the, the Starks were going to win this war. That was kind of going to be the end of the thing without right. having any clue as to the depth and, and um, uh, you know, whether I even had heard about the Red Wedding because I watched, I watched it, I think uh, in season one, season four, it started is when I really started to watch the show. And um, I, I just kind of assumed that the Starks would win eventually without. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's fucking George R. R. Martin being a uh, genius. I mean, I guess yeah. genius might be overselling it, but he's definitely fucking with your expectations intentionally. That is beyond a doubt. Uh, yeah. He, he casts the Starks as the good guys. He casts the Lannisters as the bad guys. And then he makes you question that decision. Uh, for the most part, uh, I still think the <laughs> the Starks are the good guys. But at the same oh, yeah. time, like, you know, it just makes you, it muddles the water because Jamie, and this is why I fucking hate the show, or one of the reasons, Jamie has this amazing redemption arc, meaning, and you're shown that. Anybody can be saved. Like even Jamie, a guy who, when we first meet him, he tries to kill a child. He turns into a hero by his actions and deeds, and he makes a paradigm shift, and he becomes a better person. Um, and Tyrion, we like as well, and he's a Lannister, so you, it just makes you muddy the waters between good and evil. Um, you know, and George R. R. Martin takes crap from simpletons about being a nihilist or thinking that there's no such thing as good and evil, but I, I don't think so. I think he just is telling us all that shit is not that simple. Uh, yeah. Nothing's clear black and white in, in this world or in the real world. Um, but I uh, I forgot where I was going. So why don't you uh, wrap that all up for me? <laughs> sure. So then uh, Tywin, uh, Tyrion tells Tywin that he, he's promised all these uh, weapons primarily to the hill folk, and um, Tywin instead recruits them to fight with him. I think it's pretty obvious that is thinking that they will be cannon fodder. We know that later when they're actually the vanguard as part of a fight. Uh, and, of course, Shaga will not let that happen until – or uh, will not release Tyrion. Tyrion will have to fight with them until they get all their weapons, which I would, I would think that um, Tywin would actually want to arm these people heading into a battle, but I'm not sure. Well, I think he uh, he's – Tywin's shown his – pragmatic behavior by recruiting the Gregor Clegane, who himself yeah. is a very chaotic and you really can't keep him under control. But, uh, you know, he's like a big little Belichick. You can send all these, you know, wild guys to uh, Tywin and he'll, you know, keep him in line and win a championship, I guess. But uh, another <laughs> amazing analogy by me. No, that that actually is a good analogy. But, uh, but no, for, for real though, um, I got also the sense that the same thing that Braun is complaining about in season six. And I'm sorry to interrupt, Go ahead. but I think that Gronk is the mountain. Uh, he, he should be. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> that probably was not worth the interruption. <laughs> no, nope, not at all, but we're going to continue. Yep. But, um, I think we get a hint at what Braun was complaining about with Jamie. Uh, how Braun was like, listen, you guys don't say Lannisters always pay their debts because I've been fucking been a Lannister. Like you guys oh, yeah. have promised me gold and shit before. And now I keep fucking fighting. Um, and that seems like what Tywin's doing right now. He's like saying, oh, my son promised you all this shit. Well, you'll get it as long as you fight for me. What? No, that's not the deal. The deal was 
We let your son live and you give us that shit. That's the deal. Now, if you want to make another deal and give us more shit for fighting for you, go ahead. But um, that doesn't happen. Well, the, yeah, because this, this would serve a twofold purpose. First, Tywin could take out some of his enemies and use cannon fodder with these hill folk. And then if he's lucky, they wipe out some people, but they get wiped out. And then he doesn't have to give them shit after that. Right. Because they're all dead. This is a smart move. Yeah, yeah. But yep. it's a dumb move by the Hill Tribe, not saying, uh, we want our shit right now. Yeah, I'd like to see them take Tywin's cock and feed it to a goat. That'd be pretty great. I'd yep. pay for that. All right, uh, so uh, then we go to back to Rob's camp, and he's in the planning group, and they're discussing um, the, that the twins are critical to their possible strategy. They throw around a lot of these the in this scene and then some of these other scenes in this episode where they're battle planning. They kind of throw around these things that, like, if you're just a show watcher, I don't think you would have any clue what they were talking about. Absolutely not. Book reader, I kind of pick up on some of it, and I'm probably also not picking up on most of it. But we do know that the twins, at least, are critical well, because we saw, I think if you paid attention to the, the map, I think they should have showed us the map more clearly. And I noticed it the second watch, but they show the Stark forces and they show the Lannister forces in two army, Tywin's army and Jamie's army. And they're both on the other side of these rivers, like three rivers, where right. it appears to be on the map. But I feel like that's not made crystal clear to the show watcher. If somebody would have like showed the map and like put a finger across the river a couple times, <laughs> I think. I mean, I, I give the show watchers shit for um, thinking the audience is dumb, but in this case, they're not dumb. They just need to be emphasized. There's a lot of shit going on right here, and I don't think yeah. it was. They just say, "Oh, we need to cross this river at the twins," and they drop this, and you know the you know late Lord Frey, all this crap we're dumped with, but we weren't really given a, um, I don't know, crystal clear reason. Um, I feel like they should have dumped but it down think, for the watchers. I don't at that know. Point. I don't know that it was important to the show. I mean, it, it did get across that this this the the phrase are important, or the, at least the, what the phrase hold is important. But if you go look, read the book, and look at the maps contained within the books, you can see like this is one way to cover across this river that basically cuts the continent in half. I don't know. I I refer to books and all these fantasy uh, stories that I've you know read. And half the time they just, I'm just like, what's this place? I get distracted and I'm like, what's yeah. all this other shit over here? What's this? Why would you put this on the map if you're never going to go there in the story? Um, I I don't like maps. All right. That's just, you know, a Doug I, I didn't know you were anti-cartographer. I am. Um, so then we have a uh, Lannister scout shows up. I, hey, did which, that Lannister scout kind of look like uh, Tom Cruise's inbred cousin? I thought he looked like Jason Schwartzman. Oh, I can see that too. Yeah, yeah. So, I, and I don't know how who knows who is a spy. Like, I don't know why that guy couldn't just have walked around the camp taking a look around. But yeah, or uh, said he was a dumb villager or something. I guess he yeah. confessed like an idiot. I, I have no idea. I don't know. So he's over. The spy has overestimated the number of troops, and so Rob lets him go. Uh, so that will may at least create more fear in the Lannister, at least have Lannisters overestimate the Stark force. And I think also the direction of the Stark force yep. was, yeah. So the, we, we get that later in later episodes where this, the young wolf is winning battles. And of course, uh, big John Umber storms out because uh, he's too stupid to realize that Rob is working this guy or, or setting up the, the Lannisters through this, through the the misinformation that the spy will carry. Yeah, and the first time through reading or watching, uh, I didn't catch this as Rob being smart or tactical. Um, I didn't read it at all. 
which I guess that's just my incompetence. But yeah, rewatching it, he's definitely letting this scout who um, inflated the numbers by at least 2,000 men think he's coming for Tywin by threatening Tywin. Um, yeah. And then we'll see that he goes for Jamie's army um, and is able to beat them. So. And I don't know how, how uh, Big John doesn't realize that, or at least provide him the opportunity, or Rob doesn't say... Rob, I don't know why Rob home. doesn't tell him, like, shut your fucking mouth. Yeah. This is what's really yeah. happening. The, you know, make sure that scout's away. Okay, that scout's gone. This is what we're really going to do. Like, right. Rob could have done that, but I think he's more just wanting obedience out of this guy since the great John has shown disobedience in the past, I guess. I don't know. And we also, this is one of the scenes where... Uh, even though Kat's Rob's mom, Rob is actually in charge here, particularly based on the kind of patriarchal structure. Of yeah, this he society. gives her a shitty look like, don't you fucking yeah. question me. Oh, it, he, it lingers. It lingers yep. for quite a while. Uh, which, it, that also is a foreshadowing of uh, her eventual, uh, I guess, betrayal of him later when she releases Jamie, which was a fucking shit move. But, yep. Um, so, good, yeah, good yeah, I think everybody is basically everybody is underestimating Rob. Tywin's yes. underestimating Rob. His own mother is underestimating Rob, and the Great John is. But who cares about that guy? Because um, there's multiple. Yeah, there's multiple instances of somebody saying he's so green he shits grass, or you know, all these different quotes like that. Right. But hmm? I mean, they, they 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 are not wrong, and I'm sure the majority. You know, normally, um, you know, a kid this young wouldn't be able to be this great of a tactician or um, I think Rob is just an exception, uh, an exceptionally good uh, battle commander. Um, and he seems to have a knack for, for this. Um, and that's fine. I think because people underestimate him is why he's so successful. Um, but yeah, I just think this is another example that his mom questions his actions, the great John and even Tywin. So mm-hmm. he's smart. The only, you know, he obviously fucks up later, but he's at least a very smart Battle Commander. Absolutely. All right. So if nothing left here, we're going to end the uh, episode and go down to King's Landing, where we get this fucking weird quick scene of a guard coming in to wake Ned and kicking him, and then we go away uh, to the throne room. Um, I-, I think that was just to remind us of Ned's situation, but I don't think it was needed. Yeah, it was weird. Wasn't it, it, it seemed weird? Out, seemed out of place. Very I don't, I don't know what the place. point of it was. Yeah. Uh, and then, then the ending is weird, too. So we go to the thun- throne room, and Jano Slint, the leader of the um, Knights or the, the City Watch, is promoted to Lord and given Harrenhal for his betrayal of fucking Ned Stark and siding with the Lannisters. Total uh, badass. Yeah, this guy. <laughs> so Tywin is appointed Hand of the King, and um, then Barrison is forced into retirement um, in order to make room for the Hound and... Also, to give Jamie the uh, the head Kingsguard guy, I forgot what it's called, but who gives a shit? Um, so Barristan Selmy is not, um, you know, happy or cool with this whole wanting to live out his days in Boca Raton next to the sea or whatever in a, a strong keep uh, for him to die in. Um, so he gives the old classic line, "You can't fire me because I quit," and he basically strips. And throws his sword down, saying, "Melt it down and add it to the the throne, boy. It'll do better, more good than all these idiots." Basically, just shitting, shit talking his bosses and storming out. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. Fuck you. I'm out. <laughs> if only I had a cheeseburger to throw at one of them. 
Uh, but then Sansa, before, you know, is there anything else to say before the king? Sansa runs out and begs mercy for her father, saying he only did it because he was high on Milk of the Poppy at the time. Um, he would never betray Joffrey or the king. Um, and Joffrey agrees to show mercy as long as Ned confesses for his treason and proclaims Joffrey as the rightful king. And then it ends. Seems like a very terrible ending. I think they wanted to go for like foreboding um, here, but I don't think they pulled it off. Yeah, I agree. It was an odd, an odd ending, and also uh, it really also left a uh, the bad taste of Picel in the mouth with its continued talk of of traitors. But uh, I I agree with you, and uh, I mean I think it did set up that hey maybe there is some possibility of redemption of the oh. relationship between the Starks and the Lannisters, but um, in retrospect, I mean obviously that was not anywhere close to. Yeah, and I whatsoever. feel like they didn't. In it wasn't clear what kind of mood they were going for at the end. Like it was some foreboding, but they didn't make it clear uh, that there was a sense of dread. Like this was not going to work out for, well for anybody. Um, yeah, well, because we didn't realize. I don't think what how big a piece of garbage Joffrey was until later. I mean, we knew he was a brat, but I don't think we knew that he was a fucking maniac. Until he actually goes against even his mother's wishes and has uh, Ned executed in the later episode. I agree. I think that's where he really turned into a goddamn maniac. Yeah, and it, you could tell, I think this was all Cersei's doing. Um, you know, Cersei is playing Joffrey and trying to have him in control and Sansa here. Uh, Cersei manipulated Sansa into making this um, protest or... Uh, begging Joffrey and Cersei probably informed Joffrey what he's supposed to say. It seems like it's all being orchestrated, and yes, Joffrey ruins everything during the um, at the Sept of Baelor when he calls for Ned's head. Um, no question. But other than that, I think this episode. Let's go into ratings. Um, Actually, I did want to bring up that Cersei. In going back, I, I always thought she was a really good actress, and now in going back and looking at these episodes some more. It really just looks like she sucks a lemon before before every scene and just stares. Yeah, she's definitely <laughs> got a like a one trick pony. She has she's gotten better, but yeah, she only has like a couple of uh I don't know faces that she makes. Yeah. She just makes the same face over it and over. Doesn't seem like she has a huge range. Like I love her. Mm-hmm. I love to see her as like the friendly mom in a sitcom. Oh God, that would be awful. <laughs> I think it'd be <laughs> awesome to see her try. Um, well, yo, you know what? It'd be funnier if she was, it, like, in an "Everybody Loves Raymond," where the 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 wife is. Um, oh yeah, because it's just you're like really Robert frustrated again. with the really frustrated with the husband being annoying, except yeah. it's Cersei, so she actually wants to plot to have him murdered. <laughs> because when you think about it, King Robert is basically Kevin James. Yeah, oh yeah, no question about it. A big fat slob who you know somehow ended up with this hot girl. Um, I think it'd be hilarious, and I'd love to see her, like, you know, baking cookies and, you know, I don't know. Poisoning them. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so so, uh, let's wrap this up. Um, Yeah, I think it was a fucked up ending, uh, but overall I think it was a solid episode. I'm going to give it a 4, 4.0 on the um, 10-point scale. Um, Your thoughts? I'll give it a BLT, minus the the tea. I don't like uh, uncooked tomatoes. What about the mayonnaise? Oh, yeah, that's on there. Okay, just making sure. Some, I mean, some people don't some like mayonnaise. Dupes. Okay, so uh, I'm going to interpret that as a four. Actually, a 4.5 because uh, 
No, know? actually, it was a 3.5. Oh, okay. Well, then just say 3.5 next time, you piece of shit. Go I on. didn't say it was thick-cut bacon. Oh, man. Can you imagine thick-cut maple wood mm, bacon? Good shit. Okay. So, uh, for Brian, this is Doug, and uh, for he who must not be named um, the worst <laughs> guest ever, this is us saying uh, good night. This motherfucker just texted us. Give me an hour, then we podcast. Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll see you in an hour. All right. <laughs> Thank uh, you, everyone, for joining us. For the us. worst guest ever, yes. Thank you, and see you next Tuesday, guys. Good night. Dead.